Let's pray. Father, that is true. You can, you can use anything. You can use us, and you, you've chosen to use us. Lord, I'm thankful for the dads in the room, and as a dad, I can tell you, I, I often I often feel um, too weak and, and, and confident to this task. But Lord God, I know you use me. I know you use fathers for, for your glory and your purpose to lead families as we seek to, to know and love and honor you. There's a blessing in that, and we thank you that you are our Father, that you love us, and that you are leading us as a family of faith to be a part of what you're doing in the world, and we count it a privilege to get to be a part of that. And I pray now that you will bless us as we now look at your word, as, as we see what you've commanded and, and, and how it is, Lord, you want us to come to you. God, bless us, not just to understand it, not just to, to gain information uh, that is crucial, but, Lord, that we might do it for your glory and our blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our, our homes are a lot like this church family, our, 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 our family home. It, it requires that every person do their part. Dads are to keep their eyes on Jesus. They're to lead their families in the admonishment and the truth of the word. Wives are to be there to help and to, and to be loved and to show that respect and to, and to help raise children as, as God blesses and enables. And, and each person has a, a purpose in that home. And so it is in God's church family. All of us have a purpose. If you are saved, if you are indeed saved, you've repented of your sin, and you've been pardoned by the grace of Jesus Christ, then you have a responsibility to a local church family. God did not save you and adopt you into his family so you could walk around like an, an orphan that doesn't have a home. God saved you to be a part of his kingdom purpose, and his kingdom purpose is that every one of his children have a church home, have a family of faith where they are responsible, where they're responsible for and responsible to. And we need, we need to all understand, as followers of Jesus, called to be members of this church, we all have a responsibility. If God's calling you to this church to be a member here, we can't wait to have you become a part of this family. But understand, when you come, it's not about coming and sitting, it's about coming and being. It's about being family. And when you're family, that means you have roles and responsibilities. And we need to understand that God has a purpose for all of this. And we're better together because of what God's design calls us to be. We serve better together. We're talking about that this summer. We serve better together because of what God has done, what God is doing in us and through us. Now, typically when we do a series like this, I know, you know, people are usually looking in the, in the lobby for the, the preschool or middle school or the, you know, the parking lot, you know, sign-up sheet, right? Like, okay, I know that Pastor Jason's going to guilt us for the next 10 weeks until we get all the spots filled within the church family to make sure we can run our ministries next year. That's not what we're doing. It's not what we're doing. Listen, if God's not, if God is not driving you to serve, if God is not moving you to be a part of that, I'm going to tell you something. The problem's not on God's end. The family's here. The needs are plenty. It's obvious. You know, you just need to go to Next Connect, and, and, and we'll help you find your place. But membership class is where that begins. When you join, we walk through what it means to be a member of this church. Some of you have been members for a while. You say, I don't have a place. I don't have it. Go back to the members class. Go back through it. And be refreshed and renewed in what it means to be a member of this church and understand your role and responsibility so that you can be used for the glory of God, for his purpose, for your life, and this family of faith. Now, now one of the things you got to understand is we're walking through this series. We're not, we're not trying to fill spots. What we're trying to do is to live in obedience to the Father. And so we're talking about some pretty deep things. 
I mean, last week we, we talked about the importance of, of confessing to one another. And we looked at the first part of James chapter 5, verse 16. This morning we're going to talk about the importance of prayer. Prayer is vital to the life, not only to the individual Christian, but to the family of faith in which each of those children of God, each one of us are members. Charles Spurgeon, I read this in my devotion yesterday, he said this, he said, prayer must not be neglected, the gathering of God's people must not be forsaken. He made a parallel there. Most of God's children understand that we are responsible to gather for worship within our family of faith regularly, that we're responsible for that. Do we take that seriously enough? I'm concerned about that. But one of the things I'm even more concerned about is the prayer of, of, of the family of faith here at Living Hope. And not just here, but in North America in particular. There seems to be a prayer famine. Why is that? We're going to talk about that today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to John chapter, I'm sorry, James chapter 5. We're going to do the last part of verse 16. We started it last week, and now we're, we're going to, to finish it. Caroline Sennett's going to read for us. So, Caroline, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And again, we're in the last part of James chapter 5, verse 16. So last week we looked at this confession part. Now we're going to look at the, the prayer part and what it says in particular uh, to us. So, Caroline, if you would read that last part. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caroline. If you would, go ahead and, and be seated. So I read about this church up in Indiana that, um, that was, that was had a little bit of a struggle because a bar had opened up down the street. And it was causing a ruckus. It was, it was causing disruption in families and homes. And they just saw it as a, as, as a danger to the community. So the church started praying that God would burn the building down. Interestingly, a few weeks later, the building was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. And the bar owner sued the church. And so they go to court, and, and the and the judge says, I'd like to hear your statements. And the bar owner says, they prayed that my building would be burned to the ground, and they need to pay the penalties for that. And the church said, we are, cannot be held liable uh, for, for the, the, burn, the, the building being burned to the ground. And the judge said, wait a minute. I heard, I think everything. I just want to make sure, before we go any further, I just want to make sure I understand. The church does not believe in prayer, but the bar owner does. How many of us really believe in the power of prayer? I mean, really believe. Let me tell you something. I studied it. I challenge you to study it. Study your Bibles. Study church history. You will find that every great movement of God began with a small nucleus of people praying. It began with prayer. Hebrides Islands, 1950s. Pauline and Christine, two senior adult women who were not healthy enough to get to church anymore. Uh, one was blind, the other was crippled. They began to pray that their little, their little borough there in Scotland would, would, would strike fire with revival. And they began to pray fervently for this. And, and, and one even uh, talked with the leadership and said, we need, we need to invite this, this individual to come. His, his, his name was, uh, was Duncan, uh, Duncan Campbell. And Duncan wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't like some renowned, like everybody would come here, Duncan. I mean, he was just a pastor who, who knew the Bible and, and would teach it. 
amazingly, the church filled with people repenting of sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Stories were told of how he was walking to, to one of the, 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 the gatherings of the church and, a church, and a bus had broken down in front of the church. And as the, as the bus driver was speaking, he said, do you mind if I talk to the people for a minute? He said, I don't care. Just, you know, do whatever. They all got saved. There were some young people, it was, a, it was a late night meeting, they were all going to a party, I mean a large mob of them were going to this party, and they heard them singing, and they said, hey, let's go check this out. They were going to disrupt it and to, and to, and to, and to be riotous, and so they, they, the windows were open, but they stopped. They began to listen, almost every one of them were on their knees by the end, repenting of sin and believing in Jesus Christ. During that season, there were actually weeks, weeks on the end, when there was not a single person arrested and the jails were empty. It began with prayer. In 1857, Second Presbyterian Church called uh, John Jarrado, who was a young minister at the time, he was later uh, well-known throughout the world. Many people were calling for him to come and preach to the churches, and he never would leave. He took Mount Zion Presbyterian Church. It was a church made up predominantly of uh, blacks, of African-American slaves. 48 blacks, 12 whites. Uh, John Jarrett was not was not racist, and he believed that, that all God's children were called to lead and to serve according to their ability. And so uh, the, the church was actually led by black elders. He noticed that his efforts were not producing fruit. And so he said to the church, Church, I'm not going to preach until I sense that we're ready not only to hear the word, but to respond in faith to what God commands. All we're going to do is sing and pray. So the church would sing, they would pray, and they would leave. This happened for weeks, and then it happened for months. And one morning he said, next week I'm going to, to, I'm going to preach. Tonight we'll gather and we'll pray and we'll sing. Next week I'm going to preach. They gathered that night and they prayed and they began to sing. And the people began to call us and pastor preach. Preach. They didn't get out until after midnight that night. The Spirit of God began to move, not just into that little church, but throughout the city of Charleston. There was a revival. Thousands of people, blacks and whites, were radically saved. I love that the author talks about how in their church it was just the opposite. In Mount Zion, all the black slaves were on the ground, and if the white people wanted to come, they had to sit up in the balconies. And it was such a beautiful picture because and no one came. It was just this beautiful picture of, of God is at work. Meantime, 1857, same year they began to pray. There was a, there was a businessman. Uh, his name was uh, Jeremiah Lampier. He was in New York City. And he left his business to begin to share the gospel with all the refugees that were pouring in to New York City. And so he was meeting with no success. And he was discouraged, and so he thought, you know what? Let's let's get desperate and let's pray. Which is sadly typically what most God's children think. Oh, what we're doing is not working. Maybe maybe we should trust in the Almighty. He called for a, for a prayer meeting. Seven men showed up. In a matter of months, hundreds began to show up to the Fulton Street for prayer. It became known as the Fulton Street Revival as thousands began to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, this was a, of course, as you know, New York was known for its harbor, so was Charleston. Well, guess what happened? All these, all these sailors who came to know Jesus Christ began to run into one another in the harbors, and they began to share the faith with those who didn't know. Guess what happened? 
hundreds of thousands of men were saved on both sides of the Atlantic, both in London and, and in Europe and, and in, in North America, and the gospel was going forth. Families were being saved. It was a revival. It began with prayer. Any movement of God begins with prayer. How did the church begin in Acts chapter 2? A handful of disciples meeting in a room, praying. How did revival take place in the Old Testament after the children of God had been there in captivity and exile in Babylon for 70 years? Go back and read Daniel chapter 9. Go back and read Ezra chapter 9. Go back and read Nehemiah chapter 9. There were a small number of people praying, and God heard their prayers. And God called the people back to build the temple, to build the wall. And so now there was proper and appropriate worship to the glory of God. There was now a people that were, that were being rallied. But then what happened? They stopped praying. They stopped being engaged in the work of God. They stopped showing up for worship. Here we are at Living Hope Baptist Church, supposedly one of the healthiest churches in North America. Listed in the top 50 of a 44,000 denomination people. And yet, I'm concerned. I'm concerned because five years ago, we began to hear from statisticians who were monitoring the religious activities of our evangelical-type community and churches, saying, you're not going to have fewer members. They're just going to show up less often. He said, your numbers are going to decline you're still going to see the people regularly throughout the year. They, they are not leaving their, their church. They're just not going to be as faithful. We didn't see it early on. We see it now at Living Hope. We now see people who are less active, still claim to be members. We see it in attendance. We see it in financial giving. We see it in our service records. We see people who now have financial resources time at their disposal who are now making God a lower priority. We see what the statisticians told us was going to happen, which is that people would put God on a lower priority than sports, entertainment, and hobbies. So it was happening in the days when the book of Chronicles were written. These people had experienced revival. God had heard their prayer. There were, there were those who had come from a far land and come back and reestablish worship. They had their worship practices. And so if you read First Chronicles, which many people have struggled doing because of the list, you got to understand what God's doing there. He's showing you the way He has graciously provided leadership for His people. He always has. And you see the establishment of worship in First Chronicles, the way God wanted it. And then Second Chronicles, you see after the, the worship and the, and the the authority of God's place in the people's lives was established. What they were to do, what they were to do was they were to worship God, they were to pray. Well, they had stopped doing that. And there was pestilence in the land, and there was drought, and there was no rain. And the writer of Chronicles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Second Chronicles chapter 7. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear the heal their land. It begins with prayer. 
Our problem is that we don't have enough programs here. Our problem is not that we don't have the right this or that. I believe our problem is is we don't have a commitment to Christ because we don't first and foremost believe in the power of prayer. We're not seeing miracles because we're not asking for them. We're not looking for the hand of God to do what only the hand of God can do. We're happy to show up to church when we feel like it. We're happy to sit around and talk about whether we liked it or not. We're happy to maybe push in a little bit of extra Bible study and prayer if we're convicted about it. We might even share our faith or go on a mission trip. But day in, day out, faithfulness to God, Sunday in, Sunday out, coming in, having prayed for your pastor, having prayed for those who will be leading, having prayed for your responsibility and your role, having known that you're going to come today and be an encouragement to others, and you're here for the glory of God and the service of this kingdom family. Is that happening? Friends, we've got to pray. We've got to have hearts for God. God hears prayer. Prayer requires humility. If my people who are called by name humble themselves, listen, I'm not here to, to, to just mess with you. I, I hope that you do more than say, oh, preacher sure stepped on our toes. Hey, what are we going to get for lunch? Father's Day, let's go get something good. My prayer is that we will be humbled by this. I know I have been. And that we will turn from our wicked ways. We'll repent. And we'll say, you know what? We're not praying the way we're supposed to. We're not being faithful to the work of God the way we're supposed to. And that we will see that need. And we will not only ask God to do what only He can do, but we will choose to be the answer to the prayer that we ask God to do. To bring revival, that we will be revived, that we will stir that up. Friends, I want to tell you, the number one need in your home today is prayer. For men to lead their families, to acknowledge the power and the greatness of the glory of God, and to call every member, first and foremost, ourselves men, to live in the hope of the power of the gospel, and then to call our children and wives to do the same, and to pray for the power of God to be manifest in that activity. So it is in this family of faith. Our greatest need is to acknowledge the greatness of the power of our God and be humbled by that. To repent of, of our lack of commitment, our lack of steadfastness, and to ask God to do miracles. How do we pray? So many, I know you're sitting here, you're thinking, yes, Pastor, I know, Pastor. I hear the word, Pastor. How do I do this? What do I do? Prayer is one of the greatest acts of service we can render. So how do we do this? Write this down. We serve one another by praying, first of all, with righteous character. With righteous character. Look back in verse 16, that second part, look what it says. The prayer, read it out loud with me. What kind of person is it? The prayer of a, a righteous person. A righteous person. You say, well, am I righteous? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you saved by grace through faith in Christ alone? Then if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you've been made righteous. Let me tell you how the gospel works. You ever seen this before? We call it three circles. I wonder if you can draw it yet. Sometimes I keep threatening to have a pop quiz. God's design, we have harmony with God. Why don't we have harmony in God in the world? Because sin and there's brokenness. God didn't abandon us. He sent Jesus. The good news, the gospel is Christ died for our sins. He's defeated death through his resurrection. If we will repent, turn away from our way, 
and choose to follow and believe in Jesus and follow His way, we will pursue and recover God's design. A big part of God's design for our lives is prayer. Having been made righteous in Christ, we are called to be a people of prayer. And with righteous character, two things that I want to show you quickly in the book of James that, that we've got to be aware of. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 5 and 8. When we pray, we've got to pray without doubt. In the righteousness of Christ, there is no place for doubt. Now, to do that, you've got to have wisdom. To be able to live the Christian life, you've got to have wisdom. So look at what it said, what the Word of God says. James 1, chapter 2, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It takes wisdom to know how to live for Christ. And to live for Christ requires prayer. The first thing we need to pray is, God, give me a wise mind and heart that I would know my desperate need for the power of God to be at work in my life and in my family and in my church and in my world. Humble yourselves. Acknowledge the fact that you are not the prayer, the praying person God calls you to be. Acknowledge that. God knows it. He's just waiting for you to catch up. And say, Lord, I'm humbled. I'm wrong. I repent. I'm ready to obey. I'm praying you'll give me the wisdom to know how to do this effectively, rightly. Not only do we have to pray without without doubt, the, the, the second thing, they go to James 4, verse 3. we got to pray for the right things. Why, why aren't some of our prayers answered? James tells us why. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So many of God's children are praying for our lowercase k kingdom, and God's not interested. God is interested in the kingdom that will stand forever and ever. God is interested in the kingdom that He has made possible by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our God is interested in the kingdom that is powered by the Holy Spirit that He gave as promised. Friends, we are praying for the wrong kingdoms. And we're not seeing fruit because God doesn't God doesn't see fit to bless our little kingdom when He's called us to be a part of His grand kingdom. Your life will never have the significance of meaning that designed by God until you are praying and seeking to live out God's kingdom purpose in you, for you, for the world. we got to pray for wisdom. we got to pray without doubt. We have to pray for the right things, for God's kingdom work to be done in our lives, through our lives, as we seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the other things will be added. He'll take care of us. He's called us first and foremost to pursue Him. But understand that if our character, if our hearts are not for God, and we're living in ways that do not honor Him, He won't hear us. John Gerstner, um, I took a, a seminary course from years ago. He spoke at Westminster Seminary uh, almost 50 years ago. And uh, John Gerstner, he talked like this. He had the worst voice you ever heard of in your life. He's always pictured him with a cigar when he's talking, you know, just right out. Look what he says 50 years ago. If I cherish iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. 
he said that at that seminary, the students couldn't show up to, to, to class for a day, some for several days, because they knew they were not in a right standing with God. They were not living for the glory of God. Some were living for the glory of their academic careers, for their pastoral careers. Just like some of you sit here today, you were living for the glory of your careers, for the glory of your children, for the glory of earthly things you cannot keep. And you want God to bless what is not sustainable and what is not eternal. And God is saying, I've got so much more. I've got so much more. Do you know what He has for you? Do you know the treasures, the promises that God has for you? Do you? See, you have to understand it is that, see, God listens to those who listen to Him. But it says in Isaiah 66, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is the humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Those that know and pray according to God's word, God hears and there is power in their prayer. Write it down. Take note. We serve one another by praying with righteous content. That content is the word of God. And that word has power. He says that, how are we to pray? First of all, the prayer of a righteous person. We are to have righteous character, but then we're to pray this righteous content and has great power. This righteous person has great power because they know the Word of God. Do you know that the Word of God spoke? And creation was formed. God spoke, and my heart went from being dead to alive by the power of His Holy Spirit. His Word came alive to me. His Word came alive to me this morning as I sat and studied, and I was overwhelmed once again, and it cut deep. And I said, oh, God, this word's dangerous. It's alive and it's active. There's power in the Word of God. It creates, it saves, it moves, it chases, it challenges, it comforts. How are we to pray? According to the Word of God. If you do not know the Word of God, you cannot know the will of God, and you will not pray in the way of God, and your prayers will, will not matter to the kingdom of heaven. What makes your words, what makes your words move the heart of God? The Word of God. Do you know the promises of God? Do you know the truth of God's Word so that you can pray them back? Friends, we've got to know God's Word in order to pray rightly. There's one, there's one great, there's many great promises. But look at this one, that's Isaiah 55, 11. Look at this promise alone. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you know his word? If you will pray according to his word and those promises, then you can know that God is going to answer that prayer. Why don't we pray? Because we don't believe in the power of prayer. Why, don't, why doesn't God hear? Because we, we're double-minded. We, we're not wise enough to know when and what to pray for. Why doesn't God answer our prayers? Because we're praying for our little K kingdoms instead of His kingdom. And most of us, honestly, we're not praying because we don't have a heart for it. Let me tell you something. You've got to stir your heart out for this. Let me tell you how I do it. Do it your way. Let me tell you how I do it every day. Every day, I begin by studying some scripture. Some scripture, some way. I, I use the McShane Bible reading plan. I read through Psalms. There's so many ways. Open God's Word and pray. But then take out a tablet, take out something, take out your iPad, and then put P-T-A. P stands for praise. First thing I do is I write out praise for God, for who He has said He is according to His Word. And it humbles.
humbles me every day. And then I thank Him. He prays. He thanks. I thank God for what I see in His Word and what the blessings I have seen in my life that day, the day before. And then A, I ask. I ask God to do what only He can do according to His Word. Many times I don't get beyond the Scripture. Many times I'll get into some application points within my family, within our church family. Pray, thank, I'm sorry, praise, thank, and ask every day. That's just one way to do it. And if you're struggling to make that a priority, fast. So you've got to stir yourself up. See, sometimes people think fasting is just so I can get something. No, no, no. It, it frees you up for God to do something. Remove other comforts. Remove the other things in your life that, that can in any way uh, take your eye off God. Feel the hunger in your belly. And be called to prayer every time you feel hunger. Fast from Facebook. Fast from something something in your life that your attention is drawn to. And rather participating in that, instead say, no, 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 I'm going to use this time for prayer. Uh, this desire for this... I'm going to use that as a cue to pray. And pray throughout the day. Pray with wisdom. Pray with faith. Pray for God's purpose according to His Word, because that's where the power comes from. And then pray with confidence. Listen, we serve one another by praying with righteous confidence. What does the Word say? It's very clear. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, as it is working. But here's what I know about every single person in this room right now. You are extremely practical. You do what you think works. If I were to call a prayer meeting, and I've called prayer meetings, the elders have called prayer meetings for the last year. Not every week. We've done it about every three months. We see, we see dozens. I guarantee you, we bring in one of the most popular worship bands or one of the most popular Christian speakers in the land here, we wouldn't have enough seats. Why is that? Why is it if we get the popular band and the popular speaker, we run out of seats? But when we call people to pray, it doesn't show up. Here's why. We believe that Christian entertainment is what we need and not prayer. That's simple. Can I tell you, we as believers in North America have more than enough information to change the world by the power of the gospel. Some of you have been sitting here, you've been sitting in church for years. Some of you are new to this. Don't be discouraged. We have nationals. Nationals are people that are in the countries where we take the gospel. West Africa, Southern Europe, China. Where we take the gospel. There are nationals who know a fraction of the scripture that some of you know. And yet they lead new believers to Christ dozens at a time each week, each month. Some of you have sat in church. Some of you your whole life. Some of you for a few weeks. Some of you for, for months. You've never baptized the same why? You should not be intentional about it. You've not been consistent in praying for it. You've not said, I must. I must. I must do this. See, if you're not praying 
specific prayers. You'll never know if prayer is working. So you've got to have the right character. You've got to have, yes, the righteous con- uh, content, but you've got to have righteous confidence. I'm going to tell you what builds confidence. Success. How do you know if your prayer is successful? When you see God answer it, are you praying prayers and writing them down so that you can know when God has answered that prayer? Look at the illustration. Go back to James 5. Look at the illustration Scripture gives. He talks about prayer, and then look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again in heaven that gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You know the story? Go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Turn back, go to the Old Testament. You know the story. It's the story of, of Elijah with Ahab. King Ahab had turned the, king, uh, the kingdom of Israel to worship Baal. And so the people were worshiping Baal, and God called Elijah and said, I've, I've had enough of this. Tell them it's time for a showdown. So he said, Elijah said to him, Ahab, king, bring all your Baal prophets. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to go up on this mountain. You build a fire, uh, a campfire. I'm going to build a campfire. There had been a drought in the land. He said, which one, whichever one calls on their God and the fire comes, we will know that that's the one true God. If your God starts the fire, kill me. If, if my God starts the fire, we got to kill you. This was a serious showdown. So the bell prophets got up, and they're doing all their dance, and they're cutting each other the way they did in their pagan practices. No fire. Elijah sarcastically says, are you done? He said, well, it's my turn, but first, I would like there to be water poured on the wood. So much water was poured on the wood that there was a big puddle of water around it. And Elijah says, Lord, reveal yourself. And it caught on fire. And there was a revival. And God uh, did a, a miraculous thing. Elijah prayed specifically. And he looked over to Ahab. He said, Ahab, you better get home, buddy. Because rain is coming. Drop for three years. Rain is coming. Why did he tell him that? Well, see, he knew the Word of God. He remembered the words of Solomon. You know those words that we read before in Second Chronicles chapter 7? What did those words say? Let's put that up. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then here in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. He knew the word of God. He was praying specifically according to the word of God. So he looks at King Ahab and says, King, you better get home. So he goes up on the mountain. So you read in First Kings uh, chapter 18, verses 41 through 46, I'll paraphrase. He begins to pray. Gets on his knees, praying. He tells the servant, "Go look. Is there any clouds? No clouds." Praise again. Any clouds? No clouds. Seven times. Seven times. Servant comes back. He says, "Elijah, there's a cloud. It's about the size of my hand." He went like this, and that cloud was about the size of his hand. And Elijah said, "Here we go. Here it comes." So he runs. He beats through the power of the spirit. He beats uh, King Ahab's. A, a chariot, he leads them in, running them in, and the rain comes pouring down. Why? Because he prayed specifically and he prayed according to the word of God. Are you praying? Friends, we don't need more programs. We need people on their knees praying. 
who do you need to be praying for? Who do you know that's not a Christian? Who do you know that's a believer that's straight from God? What miracle do you need? What do you need to happen in your family? What do you need in your marriage to make it whole? What do your children need? What do your grandchildren need? What do the people in your neighborhood need? What about the people at work? What do they need? What does our nation need? Are you praying specifically for God to do what only God can do? If not, you're not living according to His will. Our God is faithful. The problem is not on God's end, it's on ours. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to humble ourselves and repent and turn to God and pray for a new heart, a new focus, and a new willingness to obey Him and serve one another. We're better together when we serve in prayer. And that needs to start right now. So let's stand together as we pray. Lord God, I pray that this is not just a, you know, oh yeah, ought to do this, not gonna. Lord, I pray that your spirit is moving in such a powerful way that your people are humbled and they repent and they acknowledge, I need to pray and I need to be the answer to that prayer. I not only need to pray at 10.02 for the Lord of the harvest, I need to go and I need to be a part of harvesting. I need to pray for lost people. I need to share the gospel. I need to pray for my family. I need to pray for provision. I need to go work. I need to provide. I need to do the, the work that I'm praying for. I need to pursue what we pray for. God, would you hear your people now? Those that need to pray, those who need to just think of your faithfulness and be encouraged by the hope that we have in you. You are faithful. Make us faithful to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.